Hello, and welcome to La Cafe Mysteria, the best place in town for mysterious morsels. Here we talk about the unexplained, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, shh, can we even say that anymore? Creepy creatures and historical mysteries. Basically, if it's mysterious, I want to talk about it. My name is Liz and I'm your host. Welcome. Here in the cafe, we specialize in stories that will keep you up at night or at least give you something to think about when you're in the shower in the morning. Today is episode one, and we are going back in time, way back in time, before the United States was even a country. The year is 1587. The location is the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and the story is the Lost Colony of Roanoke. So in the 16th century, European nations were in a race to expand their empires. Despite being involved in expeditions to the New World, England had not attempted to colonize what is now the Americas. English leaders became increasingly concerned that England would not be legitimate or take its rightful place among European nations until it founded its own colony in America. So enter Walter Raleigh, a dashing young man in his 30s who wanted England to be a great nation and believed that colonizing the Americas would help do that. So he insisted his friends Philip Armidus and Arthur Barlow to go on a reconnaissance mission to what is now the Outer Banks of North Carolina. They returned to England a year later with glowing reports of friendly natives and lush forests with plenty of game and rivers full of fish, and impressed Queen Elizabeth I of England knighted Raleigh in 1584 and told him that he could name the new land Virginia in honor of her, the Virgin Queen. How sweet. With this new title, Sir Walter Raleigh received a patent to colonize America, and he vigorously began promoting his adventures and lining up crew, colonists, and financial backers. He found the Outer Banks to be the perfect location for his colony. However, and this directly relates to the fate of what we call the Lost Colony, his intentions were not noble. Raleigh wasn't seeking to establish a farming community full of thriving families. He wanted to establish a privateer base that would allow him to attack passing Spanish ships on their way to and from the West Indies. The location was close enough to easily jump to the West Indies and do some privateering, but also secluded enough so that any pursuing Spanish ships could not find their base. Privateering was a more genteel form of piracy. It's state-sanctioned maritime warfare, basically. A sovereign would give a civilian a commission of war called a letter of mark that would allow the civilian to capture or destroy enemy ships. So privateers would attack ships, taking the vessels and cargo as prizes, and then taking crew as prisoners for exchange. Raleigh was a privateer, a gentleman pirate, if you will. In 1585, Raleigh sent a party of 100 soldiers and craftsmen to Roanoke Island under the command of Ralph Lane to establish a military outpost. They arrived late in the season, so they couldn't plant anything, and a mishap with one of the boats resulted in a loss of most of their food supplies. Plans were made to send a ship back to England under the command of Richard Grenville to obtain supplies. Meanwhile, the colonists would have to live off the land or rely on the generosity of neighboring Native American tribes they had just met. Additionally, the party discovered that the harbor around the island was quite shallow and it wouldn't be a good base for privateering, the whole reason they went there. Actually, they found out that they would have to dock their ships or dock their ships, anchor their ships several miles off the island's coast in the Atlantic 
which would allow any kind of passing vessel to see them. So not a very good secluded location for attacking Spanish ships. The colonists would have to explore further to find an appropriate permanent location for Raleigh's privateering base. So the colonists' trouble actually increased when they murdered Wingina, the chief of the neighboring Roanoke tribe. So fast forward a few months, and Sir Francis Drake stops at Roanoke Island after a plundering spree of the Spanish Florida's coast, and Lane and company decide to abandon their post. They had had enough, and in their haste to get on Drake's ship, they left three people behind. They didn't go back to get them, they just left the three men. Then a week later, Grenville's supply ship arrived to find the island deserted, and they left 15 men to hold the fort, turned around, and went back to England. Furious at Lane's abandonment of the colony, Raleigh recruited 117 men, women, and children for his third and next expedition, thinking that entire families would help the potential colony have staying power. John White was recruited to be the governor of the colony, which was dubbed the City of Raleigh. Among the colonists was White's pregnant daughter, Eleanor Dare, who plays a large role in the lost colony mythology, and her husband, Ananias. Considering the failure of the previous voyage, Raleigh wanted this colony to be established on the Chesapeake Bay, which is further north of Roanoke Island in what is now Virginia and Maryland. Raleigh hired Portuguese pilot Simon Fernandez to transport the colonists to Roanoke. Fernandez, a privateer himself, reached Roanoke Island in July 1587 specifically to check on the men that Granville had left behind, and he learned that they had been killed by the Native Americans. Nonetheless, Fernandez decided this is where the colonists were going to be, ordered the colonists off the ship, and that is where they would build the city of Raleigh. Eleanor Dare gave birth to a daughter named Virginia on August 18, 1587. She became the first English child born on American soil. And 10 days later, John White left the colony and his brand new granddaughter as he sailed to England for supplies. But once he arrived in England, White found himself trapped by impending war between England and Spain. Queen Elizabeth required all ships to fight against the Spanish Armada, and there was no way that she was letting White take his ship and go back across the Atlantic to the United States, or what would become the United States. Um, White was not permitted to sail back to Roanoke until two, almost three years later. He did return to the colony on August 18, 1590, which just happened to be his granddaughter's third birthday. When they reached the location of the colony, it was dark, so they anchored and waited until daylight. They could actually see a fire burning through the trees, which was a very encouraging sign to White. And White and the sailors played trumpets and sang English folk songs throughout the night, hoping to gain the attention of the colonists. But unfortunately, no answer came. At dawn, they disembarked and went to the area of the fire and found out that it was just grass and leaves burning, probably started by natural causes. They then navigated to the northern part of the island, the location of the village when White left, and they found the letters CRO carved into a tree near the village. They walked further and found that the colony was deserted and appeared to be plundered. It was surrounded by a palisade of trees looking very much like a fort, and the houses of the colony were inside the fort. White found the word Croatoan carved on one of the entrance palisade posts. 
Now, before his departure, White and the colonists had discussed possibly leaving Roanoke Island and moving 50 miles into the interior, so he actually wasn't alarmed to find them gone. The letters on the tree in the Palisade Post obviously meant something to White, and it did turn out to be some type of instruction. So prior to his departure, White and the colonists decided that if they should leave the location, they would carve the name of their intended destination into a tree. If they were being forced to leave under distress, they would carve a Maltese cross above the name of the destination. So White found no Maltese cross at the site of the village, and he believed that he would find the colonists and his family on Croatoan, a location amongst a friendly Native American tribe on what is now Hatteras Island. So in exploring the site, um, White found some bars of iron and several heavy guns, which would have been too heavy to carry. And there were signs that the colonists did not leave in haste. Their departure was apparently orderly. Um, some sailors in his expedition independently found that they had buried chests in trenches, which appeared to have been dug up and plundered by Native Americans and then later left to the elements. And White actually noticed some of his own possessions among these chests and wrote about his books being torn from the covers and the frames of some of his pictures and maps being rotten and spoiled with rain. So that's what they found at the location of the settlement, and White determined that they would try to reach Croatoan and to find the colony, because that's what the etchings and the trees in the Palisade Post seemed to indicate. But a hurricane damaged his ships and forced him back to England. Despite re repeated attempts, White never made the trip back across the Atlantic and died without knowing the fate of his family or the colony. And Walter Raleigh, actually in the early 1600s, did attempt to send some expeditions to Roanoke to find out what happened to the colony, but it's believed that he wasn't really concerned about the welfare of the individuals. He was more concerned about, does England still have a foothold in the New World? Um, but he couldn't really explore any further because Queen Elizabeth I died. The next regent came, um, came into power, and Raleigh ended up being beheaded. So that was the end of Sir Walter Raleigh. Um, currently, nobody definitively knows what happened to this, these colonists. They effectively vanished into history. Um, I find this very intriguing because we used to go to the Outer Banks about every other year, like clockwork, for family vacations. So I've been to Roanoke Island. I've seen the Lost Colony play that they do um, on Roanoke Island. I've read all the books. And I just find it very intriguing, probably because of my personal connection of going there and learning about this as a child. But to me, the best part of any mystery are the theories about what happened. And the Lost Colony has its fair share. Some are crazy and some are more plausible. So let's explore. Um, one of the main theories is that they were, they were murdered. Um, they could have been murdered by Native American tribes in the area. There's also discussion that they could have been murdered by the Spanish. When John White returned to England for supplies, he couldn't return because of the, the attack on the Spanish Armada. Um, the Spanish soldiers were present in, in the New World, in the, in the Florida area at the time. And one of the issues between England and Spain was colonization of the Americas. 
There are reports of Spanish attacks on forts in both Florida and South Carolina, and some have suggested that Spanish troops marched north from Florida with the intent of killing the Roanoke colonists and extinguishing um, England's attempts to establish a colony here in the Americas. But no evidence exists for that, and no mass graves have been found on Roanoke indicating that this mass murder happened. Now, the second theory is cannibalism. Either that native peoples in the area cannibalized the colonists or that the colonists cannibalized each other like they did in Jamestown a few decades later. Now, there is no evidence that any native tribes in the area engaged in cannibalism. However, there is new data that has come out, or more recent data rather, that may contribute to the possibility that cannibalism was a thing um, in this situation. In 1998, archaeologists studying tree ring data from Virginia found that extreme drought conditions persisted between 1587 and 1589, the exact time frame of when the Roanoke colonists had been on the island. So they landed late in the season in July of 1587, um, and they, they couldn't plant any crops, obviously. Um, they had to rely on the food they had brought over from England. But also, if there was an extreme drought going on at this time, the Native American groups would also be experiencing food distress. They probably wouldn't want to share the food that they had available with these colonists. So, you know, perhaps colonists did cannibalize themselves. There's a possibility that they resorted to this to stay alive, but yet there's no evidence. No bones have been found indicating marks of cannibalism, yet it's an interesting theory. Um, the third theory is disease. There is a possibility that sickness swept through the settlement. Investigations into the fate of the colonists by John White and then Walter Raleigh a few years later um, indicated that the local native peoples noticed that there was some kind of internal strife and fighting within the colony. They didn't know what it was about, um, but nobody knows if the group was fracturing based on deciding where to go after White left or something else. And it's been suggested that perhaps people were getting sick and the healthy wanted to separate the sick from the rest of the group to prevent the spread of disease. But that again leaves us with a conundrum of the lack of dead bodies, indicating that a disease killed numerous colonists. So there is no mass grave indicating that, that colonists died of, of any, particular, any particular ailment. There are also theories that a hurricane may have wiped out the colony, and I actually find this quite interesting because I haven't found any evidence about this. Um, there is evidence, even today in the Outer Banks, of the Outer Banks, which are barrier islands, just basically large sand sandbars, um, moving and, and changing with weather, erosion, hurricanes, those sort of things. So if that's happening now, if, if entire sandbars, these entire islands are moving and shifting over the last few decades, what makes you think that they were, were also not moving and shifting back in the times of the colonists? Within the past like 70 years or so, there's evidence that hurricanes have caused what have previously been inlets open inlets that boats could sail through, get clogged with sand, and then become 
a land bridge that you can essentially walk over and then areas that used to be land have now opened up to be water inlets. So there is a theory that a hurricane may have wiped out the colony and then the area of the island that had housed the settlement is now underwater. This could explain why why a lot of things aren't found. Maybe the entire settlement is buried underwater as a result of hurricane and erosion over the centuries. And to my knowledge, um, exploring offshore of Roanoke Island to try to find the colony um, hasn't happened. Um, another theory that I find very interesting is something called the Dare Stones. In 1937, a stone with carvings appearing to be etched by a primitive chisel was discovered in Georgia. Um, a person found it in a field and took it to a local university and asked some scientists and researchers to analyze it and, and, and figure out what they could from it. Um, and then later, more stones appeared across the southeast, and they began to be called the Dare Stones because they appeared to be a story written by Eleanor Dare, John White's daughter. The inscription on the first stone read, Ananias Dare in Virginia went hence unto heaven, 1591. Any Englishman show John White Governor, VIA. Maybe that stands for Virginia, John White Governor of Virginia. The other side of the stone reported that only seven colonists were alive and that Native Americans had killed the rest. The stone was signed with the initials EWD, which many think Stand, stands for Eleanor White Dare. The stones appeared to tell a story narrated by Eleanor Dare about how the colonists were, were killed, there were only seven alive, and they sought refuge among a friendly Native American tribe in the area, eventually became assimilated into it. Eleanor Dare married one of the chiefs of the tribe, and she ended up having a daughter named Agnes, and then eventually Eleanor died. Harvard University and the Smithsonian examined all these stones and then determined that they had some level of authenticity, but couldn't really determine anything more than that. But in 1941, further um, exploration, not exploration, but uh, further investigation determined that the stones were forgeries. However, the first stone is deemed to be authentic. So maybe Eleanor White did carve that stone. Um, coincidentally, as I'm recording this, the New York Times has published an article a few days ago about the book, The Lost Colony in Hatteras Island by Scott Dawson. It was published in June 2020. Dawson is the president of the Croatoan Archaeological Society and a resident of Hatteras Island. So Dawson and archaeologists from the University of Bristol in England have uncovered what they call tantalizing clues um, at Hatteras Island. They also have an archaeological site near the city of Edenton on the North Carolina mainland. And they have said they have found artifacts, including the metal hilt of a sword, some pottery shards that they believe came from the colonists, and a piece of slate writing tablet with the letter M still visible on it. They also say they found a gold signet ring, like those worn by Englishmen in the 16th century. Um, so they are, they're very proud of their archaeological findings that they've done over the past 10 years. 
but other researchers and archaeologists remain skeptical, arguing that Mr. Dawson's work still needs to be peer-reviewed and that the Outer Banks was visited by Europeans all the time during the 16th to 19th centuries. So it's only natural that European tools and artifacts can be found in that location. They just want more proof that what Dawson and his friends found did indeed belong to the Roanoke colonists. Um, many people think that the idea of assimilation into local native peoples seems the most straightforward answer to the lost colony. Some scholars think that it's not logical, though. Dr. Dennis Blanton from James Madison University says that he believes that taking in a group of 117 colonists in the middle of a significant drought would have been a strain on a native community. They probably wouldn't have done it even for self, just for self-preservation reason, self reasons. The First Colony Foundation, another group, believes that the Roanoke colony broke into factions, with one faction going inland to a location that they call Site X. More evidence has surfaced about Site X recently. So John White, the governor of Virginia, was also part of Ralph Lane's 1585 voyage, and he did drawings and watercolors of the area's animals and flowers and created maps at this time. Um, there is a map called the La Virginia Pars, which is housed in the British Museum. And in 2012, researchers were examining the map and did X-ray spectroscopy on it and found a tiny four-pointed star on the map. This star had been covered with a piece of paper, which is a technique that White used to correct errors on the map. So a map maker would draw a map, and then as they learned more information about the area, they would cover up their mistake with paper and then draw over it with the correct topography. Um, the finding of this site, which is about 50 miles or so inland from Roanoke Island, lines up with the discussion that White and the colonists had prior to White's departure to England about possibly moving 50 miles inland. So the First Colony Foundation has gone to that location and did some unearthing and have discovered pottery shards in a style called border wear, which has also been found on Roanoke Island as well as Jamestown. However, border wear is an evident style of pottery on English ships and English, English expeditions in the 16th and 17th century. So that kind of wear could also have been part of Ralph Lane's expedition and Amadis and Barlow's expedition back in 1583. So exact dates of this border wear have not been determined. But the fact that it, this type of pottery was found in all these locations that had British um, colonists is interesting. Um, at this site, they also found food storage jars and pieces of early flintlock guns. So the idea of assimilation to local Native American tribes is a very common one when it comes to the lost colony. The theory gained prominence in the 1880s around the Roanoke colony's 300th anniversary when a North Carolina man named Hamilton McMillan started talking to a settlement of Pembroke Native Americans in Robeson County, which is in southeast North Carolina. And many of them claimed that their ancestors came from Roanoke in Virginia, According to Macmillan, they spoke this very distinctive Anglo-Saxon English and had the last names of many of the colonists. 
Furthermore, the phrase Roanoke in Virginia was how Raleigh and his contemporaries referred to the settlement. It probably wasn't a way that, that local native people would, would refer to the settlement unless they had intimate knowledge of it. The Pembroke Native Americans also had fair eyes, light hair, and Anglo bone structure. Um, there is also information along this line with the Lumbee Indians, also of Southeast North Carolina. These Native Americans have the light hair, the light eyes, and the bone structure that is similar to the Pembrokes. So there's all this theorization theorizing that the Roanoke colonists intermarried with these groups, and that's why these traits have, have come forth. However, there were other Europeans in the area besides the Roanoke colonists. Even if we're looking at the, the Raleigh expeditions, you had the three men left behind by Ralph Lane whenever he, he abandoned post. Then you had the 15 men left behind by Sir Richard Grenville. Some of them could have intermarried into to any of those groups. And there is also evidence that Sir Francis Drake left several hundred slaves from the Caribbean in the Outer Banks area, just left them there um, for whatever reason. And those slaves could be anything from people from Africa to people from South America, people from the Caribbean, or people from Europe. So those people could have integrated into the local populations to get people that have more European look um, than Native American looks. So while mulling over this story, I wondered why DNA evidence wasn't being used. Recently with Ancestry.com and 23andMe, tracing ancestry through DNA has become more popular. And then I came across this story. Unfortunately, it wasn't a very rich story. It was more of like a paragraph. But in 2007, the Lost Colony of Roanoke DNA Project was founded by Roberta Estes. She used a private DNA testing company to see if the missing colonists did merge with local native populations. She used historical records, oral histories, and migration patterns to test people who think they may be descended from the Roanoke settlers and looked at Y chromosomes, autosomal DNA, and mitochondrial DNA to make determinations. And so far, DNA testing has not been able to identify any native population that had been tested that had been related to Roanoke descendants or who are Roanoke descendants. So and I also wonder if there are any people in England or Europe currently who know that their ancestors were part of the Roanoke colony and if their DNA has been tested. I mean I think with advancements in DNA testing like I know people who've been able to narrow down birth parents using the DNA of of aunts, cousins, and uncles. So I think it would be intriguing to use this type of technology to help, to help solve at least this facet of the mystery, to see if the Roanoke settlers did assimilate into local, local tribes. So White, um, you know, before he left, left the colony to go back to England, the group was discussing whether they should move move inland 50 miles or so. Remember that the, that the group also should have been deposited 
by Simon Fernandez up in the Chesapeake Bay. That was supposed to be where their colony, their city of Raleigh, was supposed to be established. But Simon Fernandez had other plans and was like, nope, you're, you're going here, you're going to Roanoke, I have other things to do. Many historians believe that the colony broke into at least two large groups, maybe more. So maybe there isn't one one-size-fits-all answer for what happened to the lost colony. There may be several answers. In the latter part of the 20th century, previously undiscovered records in British and Spanish archives may point to the fact that a large group of colonists set out from Roanoke Island to Chesapeake Bay, their intended location. Dr. Davis Quinn, an expert on the Roanoke voyages, believes that the colonists may have settled in Lynnhaven Bay, near what is now Norfolk, Virginia. Ralph Lane, who is commander of the 1585 voyage, had explored the Chesapeake Bay area. John White had been part of that voyage, and he was an artist and map maker, so he very well could have made maps of this location. In 1607, Captain John Smith arrived at Jamestown, and he was on the lookout for the colonists. He was aware of Raleigh's voyages, and he was aware that the Roanoke, col Roanoke colony had vanished, and he was just on the lookout whenever, whenever he went there. Um, William Strachey, who was a secretary to the Virginia colony in 1610 and 1611, recorded in his records that Jamestown colonists reported to King James I that Raleigh's colonists live near the Chesapeake with friendly Indians for more than 20 years. He also reported seeing four men, two boys, and one girl living amongst a local tribe as slaves making copper. But we really have no idea if these European-looking individuals that Strachey saw were Roanoke colonists or descended from the Roanoke colonists. John Smith, in his discussions with Native American Chief Powhatan, learned that there were European colonists living amongst the Chesapeake on the south side of the bay. Powhatan told John Smith that he had attacked the settlement and wiped out most of the colonists, viewing them as a threat. And he even showed Smith a musket barrel and a brass mortar that he said belonged to the Roanoke colonists. By 1612, Jamestown leaders were still hearing stories about surviving Roanoke colonists who were living with Native American groups nearby. Search parties were sent out, but nothing definitive is ever really found. So if a large group possibly went up to Chesapeake Bay, there was the chance that a smaller group would have remained behind at Roanoke, awaiting John White's return. So this group could have been waiting for his return and then wanted to take their cues from John White, or waiting, were waiting for him to return and then they were gonna go together 50 miles inland or go up to Chesapeake Bay where they were supposed to go, but they were waiting for John White. We do know that the colony was abandoned by June 1588, so about a year after they had arrived, based on the records from Spanish maritime archives. Different ships used the Outer Banks as a resting place in between going from the Caribbean to Europe. Um, they landed there, it was quite, quite heavy traffic, and Spanish maritime records reported that it was abandoned a year later. So perhaps that smaller group that was waiting for John White was the group that carved CRO and Croatoan into the tree in the Palisade Post and then they 
moved down to Croatoan and assimilated with the Native American tribe there. So there are many different theories about the Lost Colony, all of them intriguing, but none of them definitive. Um, I tend to think that the group itself fractured into, into different pieces and different things happened to those pieces. I, I think it is plausible that they were trying to get to the Chesapeake Bay, their intended location. The colonists had probably heard from Ralph Lane's expedition about how, you know, there was this hostile Native American tribe that they, they fought and they ended up killing, killing their chief. And then they learned about how the bay was really shallow and, and all these things. So basically it didn't seem like a very hospitable place. So I can see why the Roanoke colonists, once they landed there, were like, no, we probably should, should go back up to the Chesapeake Bay where we were supposed to go. There was a reason we were supposed to go there. So I think some of them may have gone there. Obviously, there was a discussion between White and the colonists about moving 50 miles inland. So maybe that was a discussion that was had. There was something more promising there or safer there. So it would make sense that a group would go there, but it would also make sense if people assimilated into local Native American groups. If some of them became friendly with the groups and, and had gotten to know them, some of them may, may have assimilated into there. Um, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. I do think it makes sense that, that they would have assimilated into the group into the Native American groups, but I don't think the entire 117 colonists assimilated into any one group. I really think that they broke up into separate groups and, and different things happened. But I hope in the future with increased archeological technology and DNA technology that we might be able to find something a little bit more definitive with some of the archeological finds that Dawson and the University of Bristol are finding. I'm curious to, to know if anyone has ever done any kind of archaeological research off the coast of Roanoke Island to see if there is any settlement that is currently underwater. And I am curious to see if, if any more DNA work can be done as far as identifying um, descendants from, from the colonists that are still in Europe and then matching, trying to match DNA with some Native Americans here in the United States. So it's still a mystery, even though some people think that they have easily solved it with the assimilation into local tribes. I still think it's a mystery. So I hope you enjoyed episode one of Love Cafe Mysteria, and I will see you next time. Hello, and welcome to La Cafe Mysteria, the best place in town for mysterious morsels. Here we talk about the unexplained, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, shh, can we even say that anymore? Creepy creatures and historical mysteries. Basically, if it's mysterious, I want to talk about it. My name is Liz, and I'm your host. Welcome. Here in the cafe, we specialize in stories that will keep you up at night, or at least give you something to think about when you're in the shower in the morning. Today is episode one, and we are going back in time, way back in time, before the United States was even a country. The year is 1587. The location is the Outer Banks of North Carolina. 
and the story is the lost colony of Roanoke. So in the 16th century, European nations were in a race to expand their empires. Despite being involved in expeditions to the New World, England had not attempted to colonize what is now the Americas. English leaders became increasingly concerned that England would not be legitimate or take its rightful place among European nations until it founded its own colony in America. So enter Walter Raleigh, a dashing young man in his 30s who wanted England to be a great nation and believed that colonizing the Americas would help do that. So he insisted his friends Philip Armidus and Arthur Barlow to go on a reconnaissance mission to what is now the Outer Banks of North Carolina. They returned to England a year later with glowing reports of friendly natives and lush forests with plenty of game and rivers full of fish. And impressed, Queen Elizabeth I of England knighted Raleigh in 1584 and told him that he could name the new land Virginia in honor of her, the Virgin Queen. How sweet. With this new title, Sir Walter Raleigh received a patent to colonize America and he vigorously began promoting his adventures and lining up crew, colonists, and financial backers. He found the Outer Banks to be the perfect location for his colony. However, and this directly relates to the fate of what we call the Lost Colony, his intentions were not noble. Raleigh wasn't seeking to establish a farming community full of thriving families. He wanted to establish a privateer base that would allow him to attack passing Spanish ships on their way to and from the West Indies. The location was close enough to easily jump to the West Indies and do some privateering, but also secluded enough so that any pursuing Spanish ships could not find their base. Privateering was a more genteel form of piracy. It's state-sanctioned maritime warfare, basically. A sovereign would give a civilian a commission of war called a letter of mark that would allow the civilian to capture or destroy enemy ships. So privateers would attack ships, taking the vessels and cargo as prizes, and then taking crew as pr prisoners for exchange. Raleigh was a privateer, a gentleman pirate, if you will. In 1585, Raleigh sent a party of 100 soldiers and craftsmen to Roanoke Island under the command of Ralph Lane to establish a military outpost. They arrived late in the season, so they couldn't plant anything, and a mishap with one of the boats resulted in a loss of most of their food supplies. Plans were made to send a ship back to England under the command of Richard Grenville to obtain supplies. Meanwhile, the colonists would have to live off the land or rely on the generosity of na neighboring Native American tribes they had just met. Additionally, the party discovered that the harbor around the island was quite shallow and it wouldn't be a good base for privateering, the whole reason they went there. Actually, they found out that they would have to dock their ships or dock their ships, anchor their ships several miles off the island's coast in the Atlantic, which would allow any kind of passing vessel to see them. So not a very good secluded location for attacking Spanish ships. The colonists would have to explore further to find an appropriate permanent location for Raleigh's privateering base. So the colonists' trouble actually increased when they murdered Wingina, the chief of the neighboring Roanoke tribe. So fast forward a few months and Sir Francis Drake stops at Roanoke Island after a plundering spree of the Spanish Florida's coast and Lane and company decide to abandon their post. They had had enough 
and in their haste to get on Drake's ship, they left three people behind. They didn't go back to get them. They just left the three men. Then a week later, Grenville's supply ship arrived to find the island deserted, and they left 15 men to hold the fort, turned around, and went back to England. Furious at Lane's abandonment of the colony, Raleigh recruited 117 men, women, and children for his third and next expedition, thinking that entire families would help the potential colony have staying power. John White was recruited to be the governor of the colony, which was dubbed the City of Raleigh. Among the colonists was White's pregnant daughter, Eleanor Dare, who plays a large role in the Lost Colony mythology, and her husband, Ananias. Considering the failure of the previous voyage, Raleigh wanted this colony to be established on the Chesapeake Bay, which is further north of Roanoke Island in what is now Virginia and Maryland. Raleigh hired Portuguese pilot Simon Fernandez to transport the colonists to Roanoke. Fernandez, a privateer himself, reached Roanoke Island in July 1587 specifically to check on the men that Granville had left behind, and he learned that they had been killed by the Native Americans. Nonetheless, Fernandez decided this is where the colonists were going to be, ordered the colonists off the ship, and that is where they would build the city of Raleigh. Eleanor Dare gave birth to a daughter named Virginia on August 18, 1587. She became the first English child born on American soil. And 10 days later, John White left the colony and his brand new granddaughter as he sailed to England for supplies. But once he arrived in England, White found himself trapped by impending war between England and Spain. Queen Elizabeth required all ships to fight against the Spanish Armada, and there was no way that she was letting White take his ship and go back across the Atlantic to the United States or what would become the United States. Um, White was not permitted to sail back to Roanoke until two, almost three years later. He did return to the colony on August 18, 1590, which just happened to be his granddaughter's third birthday. When they reached the location of the colony, it was dark, so they anchored and waited until daylight. They could actually see a fire burning through the trees, which was a very encouraging sign to White. And White and the sailors played trumpets and sang English folk songs throughout the night, hoping to gain the attention of the colonists. But unfortunately, no answer came. At dawn, they disembarked and went to the area of the fire and found out that it was just grass and leaves burning, probably started by natural causes. They then navigated to the northern part of the island, the location of the village when White left, and they found the letters CRO carved into a tree near the village. They walked further and found that the colony was deserted and appeared to be plundered. It was surrounded by a palisade of trees looking very much like a fort, and the houses of the colony were inside the fort. White found the word Croatoan carved on one of the entrance palisade posts. Now, before his departure, White and the colonists had discussed possibly leaving Roanoke Island and moving 50 miles into the interior, so he actually wasn't alarmed to find them gone. The letters on the tree in the Palisade Post obviously meant something to White, and it did turn out to be some type of instruction. So prior to his departure, White and the colonists decided that if they should leave the location, they would carve the name of their intended destination into a tree. If they were being forced to leave under distress, they would carve a Maltese cross above the name of the destination. 
so White found no Maltese cross at the site of the village, and he believed that he would find the colonists and his family on Croatoan, a location amongst a friendly Native American tribe on what is now Hatteras Island. So in exploring the site, um, White found some bars of iron and several heavy guns, which would have been too heavy to carry, and there were signs that the colonists did not leave in haste. Their departure was apparently orderly. Um, some sailors in his expedition independently found that they had buried chests in trenches, which appeared to have been dug up and plundered by Native Americans and then later left to the elements. And White actually noticed some of his own possessions among these chests and wrote about his books being torn from the covers and the frames of some of his pictures and maps being rotten and spoiled with rain. So that's what they found at the location of the settlement, and White determined that they would try to reach Croatoan and to find the colony, because that's what the etchings and the trees and the palisade posts seemed to indicate. But a hurricane damaged his ships and forced him back to England. Despite re repeated attempts, White never made the trip back across the Atlantic and died without knowing the fate of his family or the colony. And Walter Raleigh, actually in the early 1600s, did attempt to send some expeditions to Roanoke to find out what happened to the colony, but it's believed that he wasn't really concerned about the welfare of the individuals. He was more concerned about, does England still have a foothold in the New World? Um, but he couldn't really explore any further because Queen Elizabeth I died. The next regent came, um, came into power, and Raleigh ended up being beheaded. So that was the end of Sir Walter Raleigh. Um, currently, nobody definitively knows what happened to this, these colonists. They effectively vanished into history. Um, I find this very intriguing because we used to go to the Outer Banks about every other year, like clockwork, for family vacations. So I've been to Roanoke Island. I've seen the Lost Colony play that they do um, on Roanoke Island. I've read all the books. And I just find it very intriguing, probably because of my personal connection of going there and learning about this as a child. But to me, the best part of any mystery are the theories about what happened. And the Lost Colony has its fair share. Some are crazy and some are more plausible. So let's explore. Um, one of the main theories is that they were, they were murdered. Um, they could have been murdered by Native American tribes in the area. There's also discussion that they could have been murdered by the Spanish. When John White returned to England for supplies, he couldn't return because of the, the attack on the Spanish Armada. Um, the Spanish soldiers were present in, in the New World, in the, in the Florida area at the time. And one of the issues between England and Spain was colonization of the Americas. There are reports of Spanish attacks on forts in both Florida and South Carolina, and some have suggested that Spanish troops marched north from Florida with the intent of killing the Roanoke colonists and extinguishing um, England's attempts to establish a colony here in the Americas. But no evidence exists for that, and no massed graves have been found on Roanoke indicating that this mass murder happened. Now, the second theory is cannibalism either that native peoples in the area cannibalized the colonists or that the colonists cannibalized each other like they did in Jamestown a few decades later. Now, there is no evidence that any native tribes in the area engaged in cannibalism. 
However, there is new data that has come out, or more recent data rather, that may contribute to the possibility that cannibalism was a thing um, in this situation. In 1998, archaeologists studying tree ring data from Virginia found that extreme drought conditions persisted between 1587 and 1589, the exact time frame of when the Roanoke colonists had been on the island. So they landed late in the season in July of 1587, um, and they, they couldn't plant any crops, obviously. Um, they had to rely on the food they had brought over from England. But also, if there was an extreme drought going on at this time, the Native American groups would also be experiencing food distress. They probably wouldn't want to share the food that they had available with these colonists. So, you know, perhaps colonists did cannibalize themselves. There's a possibility that they resorted to this to stay alive, but yet there's no evidence. No bones have been found indicating marks of cannibalism, yet it's an interesting theory. Um, the third theory is disease. There is a possibility that sickness swept through the settlement. Investigations into the fate of the colonists by John White and then Walter Raleigh a few years later um, indicated that the local native peoples noticed that there was some kind of internal strife and fighting within the colony. They didn't know what it was about, um, but nobody knows if the group was fracturing based on deciding where to go after White left or something else. And it's been suggested that perhaps people were getting sick and the healthy wanted to separate the sick from the rest of the group to prevent the spread of disease. But that again leaves us with a conundrum of the lack of dead bodies indicating that a disease killed numerous colonists. So there is no mass grave indicating that, that colonists died of, of any, particular, any particular ailment. There are also theories that a hurricane may have wiped out the colony, and I actually find this quite interesting because I haven't found any evidence about this. Um, there is evidence even today in the Outer Banks of the Outer Banks, which are barrier islands, just basically large sand, sandbars, um, moving and, and changing with weather, erosion, hurricanes, those sort of things. So if that's happening now, if, if entire sandbars, these entire islands are moving and shifting over the last few decades, what makes you think that they were, were also not moving and shifting back in the times of the colonists? Within the past like 70 years or so, there's evidence that hurricanes have caused what have previously been inlets, open inlets that boats could sail through, get clogged with sand, and then become a land bridge that you can essentially walk over, and then areas that used to be land have now opened up to be water inlets. So there is a theory that a hurricane may have wiped out the colony, and then the area of the island that had housed the settlement is now underwater. This could explain why, why a lot of things aren't found. Maybe the entire settlement is buried underwater as a result of hurricane and erosion over the centuries. And to my knowledge, um, exploring offshore of Roanoke Island to try to find the colony um, hasn't happened. Um, 
another theory that I find very interesting is something called the Dare Stones. In 1937, a stone with carvings appearing to be etched by a primitive chisel was discovered in Georgia. Um, a person found it in a field and took it to a local university and asked some scientists and researchers to analyze it and, and, and figure out what they could from it. Um, and then later, more stones appeared across the southeast, and they began to be called the Dare Stones because they appeared to be a story written by Eleanor Dare, John White's daughter. The inscription on the first stone read, Ananias Dare in Virginia went hence unto heaven, 1591. Any Englishman show John White Governor, VIA. Maybe that stands for Virginia, John White Governor of Virginia. The other side of the stone reported that only seven colonists were alive and that Native Americans had killed the rest. The stone was signed with the initials EWD, which many think stand, stands for Eleanor White Dare. The stones appeared to tell a story narrated by Eleanor Dare about how the colonists were, were killed, there were only seven alive, and they sought refuge among a friendly Native American tribe in the area, eventually became assimilated into it. Eleanor Dare married one of the chiefs of the tribe, and she ended up having a daughter named Agnes. And then eventually Eleanor died. Harvard University and the Smithsonian examined all these stones and then determined that they had some level of authenticity, but couldn't really determine anything more than that. But in 1941, further um, exploration, not exploration, but uh, further investigation determined that the stones were forgeries. However, the first stone is deemed to be authentic. So maybe Eleanor White did carve that stone. Um, coincidentally, as I'm recording this, the New York Times has published an article a few days ago about the book The Lost Colony in Hatteras Island by Scott Dawson. It was published in June 2020. Dawson is the president of the Croatoan Archaeological Society and a resident of Hatteras Island. So Dawson and archaeologists from the University of Bristol in England have uncovered what they call tantalizing clues um, at Hatteras Island. They also have an archaeological site near the city of Edenton on the North Carolina mainland. And they have said they have found artifacts including the metal hilt of a sword, some pottery shards that they believe came from the colonists, and a piece of slate writing tablet with the letter M still visible on it. They also say they found a gold signet ring like those worn by Englishmen in the 16th century. Um, so they are, they're very proud of their archaeological findings that they've done over the past 10 years. But other researchers and archaeologists remain skeptical, arguing that Mr. Dawson's work still needs to be peer-reviewed and that the Outer Banks was visited by Europeans all the time during the 16th and 19th centuries. So it's only natural that European tools and artifacts can be found in that location. They just want more proof that what Dawson and his friends found did indeed belong to the Roanoke colonists. Um, many people think that the idea of assimilation into local native peoples seems the most straightforward answer to the lost colony. Some scholars think that it's not logical though. Dr. Dennis Blanton from James Madison University says that he believes 
that taking in a group of 117 colonists in the middle of a significant drought would have been a strain on a native community. They probably wouldn't have done it even for self, just for self-preservation reason, self reasons. The First Colony Foundation, another group, believes that the Roanoke Colony broke into factions, with one faction going inland to a location that they call Site X. More evidence has surfaced about Site X recently. So John White, the governor of Virginia, was also part of Ralph Lane's 1585 voyage, and he did drawings and watercolors of the area's animals and flowers and created maps at this time. Um, there is a map called the La Virginia Pars, which is housed in the British Museum. And in 2012, researchers were examining the map and did X-ray spectroscopy on it and found a tiny four-pointed star on the map. This star had been covered with a piece of paper, which is a technique that White used to correct errors on the map. So a map maker would draw a map, and then as they learned more information about the area, they would cover up their mistake with paper and then draw over it with the correct topography. Um, the finding of this site, which is about 50 miles or so inland from Roanoke Island, lines up with the discussion that White and the colonists had prior to White's departure to England about possibly moving 50 miles inland. So the First Colony Foundation has gone to that location and did some unearthing and have discovered pottery shards in a style called border ware, which has also been found on Roanoke Island as well as Jamestown. However, border ware is an evident style of pottery on English ships and English, English expeditions in the 16th and 17th century. So that kind of ware could also have been part of Ralph Lane's expedition and Amadis and Barlow's expedition back in 1583. So exact dates of this border wear have not been determined. But the fact that it, this type of pottery was found in all these locations that had British um, colonists is interesting. Um, at this site, they also found food storage jars and pieces of early flintlock guns. So the idea of assimilation to local Native American tribes is a very common one when it comes to the Lost Colony. The theory gained prominence in the 1880s around the Roanoke Colony's 300th anniversary when a North Carolina man named Hamilton McMillan started talking to a settlement of Pembroke Native Americans in Robeson County, which is in southeast North Carolina. And many of them claimed that their ancestors came from Roanoke in Virginia, According to Macmillan, they spoke this very distinctive Anglo-Saxon English and had the last names of many of the colonists. Furthermore, the phrase Roanoke in Virginia was how Raleigh and his contemporaries referred to the settlement. It probably wasn't a way that, that local Native people would, would refer to the settlement unless they had intimate knowledge of it. The Pembroke Native Americans also had fair eyes, light hair, and Anglo bone structure. Um, there is also information along this line with the Lumbee Indians, also of southeast North Carolina. These Native Americans have the light hair, the light eyes, and the bone structure that is similar to the Pembrokes. So there's all this theorization 
theorizing that the Roanoke colonists intermarried with these groups and that's why these traits have, have come forth. However, there were other Europeans in the area besides the Roanoke colonists. Even if we're looking at the, the Raleigh expeditions, you had the three men left behind by Ralph Lane whenever he, he abandoned post. Then you had the 15 men left behind by Sir Richard Grenville. Some of them could have intermarried into to any of those groups. And there is also evidence that Sir Francis Drake left several hundred slaves from the Caribbean in the Outer Banks area, just left them there um, for whatever reason. And those slaves could be anything from people from Africa to people from South America, people from the Caribbean, or people from Europe. So those people could have integrated into the local populations to get people that have more European look um, than Native American looks. So while mulling over this story, I wondered why DNA evidence wasn't being used. Recently with Ancestry.com and 23andMe, tracing ancestry through DNA has become more popular. And then I came across this story. Unfortunately, it wasn't a very rich story. It was more of like a paragraph. But in 2007, the Lost Colony of Roanoke DNA Project was founded by Roberta Estes. She used a private DNA testing company to see if the missing colonists did merge with local native populations. She used historical records, oral histories, and migration patterns to test people who think they may be descended from the Roanoke settlers and looked at Y chromosomes, autosomal DNA and mitochondrial DNA to make determinations. And so far, DNA testing has not been able to identify any native population that had been tested that had been related to Roanoke descendants or who are Roanoke descendants. So, and I also wonder if there are any people in England or Europe currently who know that their ancestors were part of the Roanoke colony and if their DNA has been tested. I mean, I think with advancements in DNA testing, like I know people who've been able to narrow down birth parents using the DNA of, of aunts, cousins, and uncles. So I think it would be intriguing to use this type of technology to help, to help solve at least this facet of the mystery, to see if the Roanoke settlers did assimilate into local, local tribes. So White, um, you know, before he left, left the colony to go back to England, the group was discussing whether they should move, move inland 50 miles or so. Remember that the, that the group also should have been deposited by Simon Fernandez up in the Chesapeake Bay. That was supposed to be where their colony, their city of Raleigh, was supposed to be established, but Simon Fernandez had other plans and was like, nope, you're, you're going here, you're going to Roanoke, I have other things to do. Many historians believe that the colony broke into at least two large groups, maybe more. So maybe there isn't one one-size-fits-all answer for what happened to the lost colony. There may be several answers. In the latter part of the 20th century, previously undiscovered records in British and Spanish archives may point to the fact that a large group of colonists set out from Roanoke Island to Chesapeake Bay, their intended location, 
Dr. Davis Quinn, an expert on the Roanoke voyages, believes that the colonists may have settled in Lynn Haven Bay, near what is now Norfolk, Virginia. Ralph Lane, who is commander of the 1585 voyage, had explored the Chesapeake Bay area. John White had been part of that voyage, and he was an artist and map maker, so he very well could have made maps of this location. In 1607, Captain John Smith arrived at Jamestown, and he was on the lookout for the colonists. He was aware of Raleigh's voyages, and he was aware that the Roanoke, col Roanoke colony had vanished. And he was just on the lookout whenever, whenever he went there. Um, William Strachey, who was a secretary to the Virginia colony in 1610 and 1611, recorded in his records that Jamestown colonists reported to King James I that Raleigh's colonists live near the Chesapeake with friendly Indians for more than 20 years. He also reported seeing four men, two boys, and one girl living amongst a local tribe as slaves making copper. But we really have no idea if these European-looking individuals that Strachey saw were Roanoke colonists or descended from the Roanoke colonists. John Smith, in his discussions with Native American Chief Powhatan, learned that there were European colonists living amongst the Chesapeake on the south side of the bay. Powhatan told John Smith that he had attacked the settlement and wiped out most of the colonists, viewing them as a threat. And he even showed Smith a musket barrel and a brass mortar that he said belonged to the Roanoke colonists. By 1612, Jamestown leaders were still hearing stories about surviving Roanoke colonists who were living with Native American groups nearby. Search parties were sent out, but nothing definitive is ever really found. So if a large group possibly went up to Chesapeake Bay, there was the chance that a smaller group would have remained behind at Roanoke, awaiting John White's return. So this group could have been waiting for his return and then wanted to take their cues from John White, or waiting, were waiting for him to return and then they were gonna go together 50 miles inland or go up to Chesapeake Bay where they were supposed to go, but they were waiting for John White. We do know that the colony was abandoned by June 1588, so about a year after they had arrived, based on the records from Spanish maritime archives. Different ships used the Outer Banks as a resting place in between going from the Caribbean to Europe. Um, they landed there, it was quite, quite heavy traffic, and Spanish maritime records reported that it was abandoned a year later. So perhaps that smaller group that was waiting for John White was the group that carved CRO and Croatoan into the tree in the Palisade Post and then they moved down to Croatoan and assimilated with the Native American tribe there. So there are many different theories about the Lost Colony, all of them intriguing, but none of them definitive. Um, I tend to think that the group itself fractured into, into different pieces and different things happened to those pieces. I, I think it is plausible that they were trying to get to the Chesapeake Bay, their intended location. The colonists had probably heard from Ralph Lane's expedition about how you know, there was this hostile Native American tribe that they, they fought and they ended up killing killing their chief, and then they learned about how 
the bay was really shallow and, and all these things. So basically it didn't seem like a very hospitable place. So I can see why the Roanoke colonists, once they landed there, were like, no, we probably should, should go back up to the Chesapeake Bay where we were supposed to go. There was a reason we were supposed to go there. So I think some of them may have gone there. Obviously, there was a discussion between White and the colonists about moving 50 miles inland. So maybe that was a discussion that was had. There was something more promising there or safer there. So it would make sense that a group would go there, but it would also make sense if people assimilated into local Native American groups. If some of them became friendly with the groups and, and had gotten to know them, some of them may, may have assimilated into there. Um, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. I do think it makes sense that, that they would have assimilated into the group into the Native American groups, but I don't think the entire 117 colonists assimilated into any one group. I really think that they broke up into separate groups and, and different things happened. But I hope in the future with increased archeological technology and DNA technology that we might be able to find something a little bit more definitive with some of the archeological finds that Dawson and the University of Bristol are finding. I'm curious to, to know if anyone has ever done any kind of archaeological research off the coast of Roanoke Island to see if there is any settlement that is currently underwater. And I am curious to see if, if any more DNA work can be done as far as identifying um, descendants from, from the colonists that are still in Europe and then matching, trying to match DNA with some Native Americans here in the United States. So it's still a mystery, even though some people think that they have easily solved it with the assimilation into local tribes. I still think it's a mystery. So I hope you enjoyed episode one of La Cafe Mysteria, and I will see you next time.